Warning, the 1982 project contains explicit language. So let your free flag fly. In 1975, he directed Jaws. In 1978, he directed Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In 1981, he directed Raiders of the Lost Ark. And now, Steven Spielberg brings us E.T. The Extraterrestrial. This is the first time I remember crying in a movie. Oh, okay. This was that the AET had me bawling, and I didn't fully understand. I didn't fully understand what was happening because I was crying, but I I didn't fall down. I hadn't been like hurt. Like I wasn't crying for any of the reasons that a seven-year-old would normally cry. I was crying because. See, I could kind of recognize that being a few years older, being ten. I was crying because I was as connected to Elliot's relationship with E.T. as Elliot was. I just had no idea that was happening. Right. And, and it was just, it was like having, it was like having tears pulled from my skull. <laughs> the intrusion. The wonderment. Welcome to the 1982 Project. I am Michael Schantz. And I'm Matt Aldridge. This is the podcast that looks at the films of 1982, a year that came out of nowhere and never went away. We ain't partners. We ain't brothers and we ain't friends. What are you people? On dope? I got nowhere else to go! He's a replicant. I'm afraid! All right? He likes wonderful. Let's get, let's blow it up right away. The glass man. This has a whorehouse in it. That penis had a moment. I'd recognize that penis anywhere. Fuck you two! You, go clean off my door. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Enough talk. Here we are. Episode one, Matt. Coming of age. Here we are indeed. Uh, episode one. I'm super excited uh, because we are going to start our journey into the movies of 1982 with a trio of films that all have to do with the theme of coming of age. We're going to be looking at E.T. the Extraterrestrial, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and Barry Levinson's debut film, Diner. Let's see. I was in 1982. I was seven going on eight. I would have turned 11 in October of 1982. So I was 10 for most of 1982. Right. So, I mean, we were both kids. Uh, right. So, but th- so this may or may not shock you, uh, but I actually saw all of these films in the theater. I think that's one difference between you and I. Your your parents had yeah, morals yeah. and, and <laughs> boundaries? <laughs> I, 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 you know... I don't. I don't think my parents would start taking me to rated R movies until about 1984. That's the that's the year I remember. So okay. I remember being really upset about not being able to see First Blood in the theater. You know, there were some seminal movies that I didn't get to see in the theater, but that was not the case for you, correct? It was not the case for me. So here's my story. 1982. My parents were divorced. My dad would pick us up. On the weekends, we would just always go to the movies. That was just one of the things that we did. I guess this was the time. This was uh, the kind of guy my dad was. That he didn't think twice about taking us to see Fast Times at Richmond High or 
Porky's or Night Shift yeah. or Death Wish 2 or uh, any of these other movies. <laughs> you would have been the friend. If we if we were friends back then, you would have been the friend that I was jealous of. I, I, would, have, I would have been jealous that you had the opportunity to just go see whatever you wanted. I would sometimes hold court and describe scene by scene what these right. movies were to my I'm friends sure. who, yes. who didn't get to see the who saw only the previews and the commercials I would I would walk them through the whole this is maybe my first experience with storytelling uh, exactly <laughs> and I can remember those sessions I can rem- <laughs> I can remember being the kid you know on the outside of that circle saying oh man I can't wait come on <laughs> I remember hearing, then he jumps off a cliff, and he falls through trees, and then he's got to sew up his arm. He does it himself, man. (laughs) All right, so let's get into it then, because we have three totally different films, all about coming of age, but in different ways. That's what I find remarkable about these three movies, is you're dealing with three different stages of coming of age. So you have a formative year, a kid that was our age when that movie came out, E.T., that's about a 10-year-old boy. And then you uh, kind of shift to a high school narrative Mm -hmm. and what's on the minds of high school students, what they want to need at that time of your life. And then you have sort of a, you know, the post-20s, the post-high school but at a different time where people got married earlier and Diner ta- speaks to marriage and the value of marriage and h- how it's seen by these group of men at that time in their lives. Absolutely. Diner is about young men who are resisting growing up, getting, getting older. They don't yeah. want to grow up. They don't want to take on the uh, responsibilities of adulthood, marriage, career watching their finances, not drinking so much. Like all of these, each one of them has a a bit of childhood and and, and irresponsibility that they're desperately holding on to. Yeah, married um, or not, they want to go to the diner till 4, 5, 6 a.m. and just talk with each other. Yeah, they want, they don't want to grow up and, yeah. and time is, and time is moving on. And that's sort of the central tension of the story. In Fast Times, you have the opposite. You have right. kids They want to who, grow up now. <laughs> they want to grow up yesterday. <laughs> yeah, and, right. <laughs> and they want the responsibilities of adulthood. They want freedom. They want sex. They want a job. They want independence, financial independence, sexual independence, liberation. And, and it is the structure of high school and family and, and all of these things that are sort of keeping them contained. And that's the central tension in, in that film. Mm-hmm. And then you have E.T., which is like the Goldilocks film, which is like right. a kid taking like a, a kid coming of age in an, at an appropriate time in an appropriate way. Mm-hmm. Right. It is, it is it is Elliot learning empathy. It is the, yes. a, the time in your life when you're learning to consider other people's other feelings. Other people's feelings, right. Thank you, yeah. And that is kind of the beauty of E.T., is that it occupies this Goldilocks zone of theme and, and character. I think it is the thing that makes this film as enduring as it is. I mean, there it is. 
just the music alone, if you're not crying already, I, I really don't know what to do about you. Um, <laughs> E.T., I'll, I'll say it, it's a timeless classic, uh, but why? Why has it endured, and why are we still trying to recapture the lightning uh, that uh, was, was captured in the bottle 40 years ago? I think one of the things that makes it timeless is Steven Spielberg, his sensibilities. You'll notice while you're watching that movie that the camera is almost always at Elliot's eye level or below. It is the point of view yes. of the children. That's why we connected to it as a kid, as kids, but I think it's still why we connect to it because you're you because of that you are always seeing it through Elliot's eyes. I no, I agree and you can't take the sensibilities of Steven Spielberg out of the equation. Um, and, and you also can't overstate just how revolutionary uh, this movie was at the time in terms of the way it looked. Right, because I, we don't think of it now, but this movie takes a big risk, not in not unlike the same way Empire Strikes Back did in 1980, where they're relying on the audience being able to believably buy in to puppets. Yeah, practical but effects through practical like, effects and i am real time on there screen. are times watching this movie where i'm still amazed by it close-up yeah. shots of et's eyes look like real eyeballs and there are times where the you know the iris is actually opening up or closing it's really really amazing work it's incredible. And and you know me, like I will take practical effects over CG 10 times out of 10. Um, but I, I wonder if, if there's something beyond, you know, how it looks, how it was shot, the sensibilities that the director brought to it and something more about, I don't know, there was something to me about the world uh, of this movie that felt uh, both like very specific and very timeless. Yes. It was a world and it was a world that I knew well which is, it was a world of single parents or divorced parents and where one of them worked and the kids had to let themselves in right. uh, to the house when they got home Latch from school. Latchkey kid. Yeah. And, it, and you did your homework and you got on your bike and you went to your friend's house. Your parents weren't arranging your play dates. The, right. play, the word play date didn't even exist. Um, and so this world was very familiar to me growing up in suburban New Jersey me too. Uh, you know, with, you know, with with uh, divorced parents, and you know, sort of an overactive imagination and a deep and abiding love for all things Star Wars. Like I, I, Elliot was me, and I was Elliot. There was no yeah. There was there no was a, differentiation between <laughs> no differentiation. Elliot and myself. Absolutely. Um, you know, the opening of the film is very mysterious. You're sort of seeing aliens you know, in the bushes and moving around and they seem to be up to something. And then government people show up and there's a bit of a chase and a cat and mouse. Right. And all of that stuff is very intriguing and you don't quite see anything of what's going on. You just have these, you know, blurred images kind of running past the camera. But there's a moment where you sort of it sort of cranes up and and you see sort of the valley the sprawling yeah valley, the sprawling yeah. suburbia um, the lights of the sprawling suburbia below and you're like oh okay now I can now I kind of know where I am on the globe yeah and um, and then from then on you were you were just in 
the land of, of, you know, wide suburban streets and, and tract homes. And this was the, this was Spielberg's youth. This was so many people's youth. And, sure. and you, you have to sort of recognize it was also not a lot of people's youth. And, and so the level of estrangement or familiarity, um, sitting down and watching this movie, uh, it, it will vary from person to person. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a real story going on here that isn't specific to just kids. Uh, I think there's something for everybody to latch on to. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's also the one thing about that movie. It's a really great example of every, like, especially the end of this movie. The end of this movie is everything coming together to work perfectly where the actors, the director, and with that soaring music, I mean, everything locks in like a perfect puzzle piece. It's it, like it's hard to not fall in love with that movie every time you watch it and see that ending. Absolutely. And it's, it's so, the third act is so simple. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the, end of the, sec- the end of the second act is we think E.T. is dead and Elliot... Um, you know, is there to say goodbye to him and, and try to let him go. And, and suddenly E.T. sort of springs back to life because his, his people are, are coming to get him. You know, the yeah. ship is close. And so all it is is... And that imp- get, I think they, that... All, all, they, all the third act is, we've got to get this alien We just got to get him to the ship. But I also... <laughs> and, it's I, like I, it, the, the simplicity of that, the elegance of that is so refreshing because, in my opinion big mass market entertainment stuff is so convoluted now and you're yeah. following 15 different storylines and they all have to converge on one event in the third act and there's so much sort of there's 70 hy- characters 70 characters <laughs> and just like hyperkinetic cutting and and there's just so much to track because things are supposed to be these deep wide interconnected universes now where it was just the simplest thing of we got to get the alien from A to B, and we got to do it without being seen. Yeah. And then they're seen, and then it's a big chase. And the chase is ends when the kids get to fly on bikes. I mean, it, right. in terms of in terms of like kid fantasy moments, finding an alien, getting to fly on a bike, uh, outrunning police. Uh, yes. Right. <laughs> 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 um, uh, you know, kissing the girl. Like, like it just it all kind of uh, one after the other. This this movie just keeps delivering on those uh, vicarious thrills. 1982 Project will be back after these messages. Chicken crisp and light, or is veal parmesan more your style? Come on, we're gonna make you smile. Aren't you hungry? Aren't you hungry? Aren't you hungry for Burger King? Aren't you hungry? Mr. Spicoli. That's the name they gave me. You're ripping my car. Yeah. Hey, bud, what's your problem? No problem at all. I think you know where the front office is. 
You dick! All right, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, directed by Amy Heckerling, one of the few female directors we have this year, uh, written by a young Cameron Crowe, his first screenplay. I don't know, Mike, what, why do, what, what do people, why, why, why do people look so fondly on this film? I think people, when they look back on this movie, the things that they remember are Spicoli and Phoebe Cates. And, and that might be yeah. the extent of, of what yes. they remember and loved about the movie. But there's a lot more there, there, than just those things. And I think that's why the movie endures in, in, in a way. I remembered this movie as being just sort of a, a, sort of a parade of bits and jokes. A romp? I, I just felt, yeah, I remembered it being sort of rompy or, or this sort of meandering narrative uh, Right. More of like a, a pastiche of all these little, um, you know. Vignettes. Here's what, he, vignettes. Here's what it was yeah. like at the mall. Here's what it was like at the fast food joint. What I didn't uh, remember and appreciate was how much structure the story actually has. And that yeah. it has these two very distinct mirrored uh, storylines of these young kids who who are obs- obsessed with sex and, and scared of it and preoccupied with it. And they turn for advice to their older, wiser, more experienced friends who have nothing but terrible advice to give them. Right. And they and they spend the movie following this bad advice and suffering the consequences, whether it's embarrassment or unwanted pregnancy. I mean, yeah. it's, <laughs> they suffer the consequences of this advice to the point where at the end they finally reject the advice and go to each other and have and something. And go for the romance. And go for the romance and have something that's more like a sort of an innocent teen crush and yeah. relationship that feels uh, uh, maybe on, on firmer ground than what they had been chasing before. You know, we've referenced that these movies are 40 years old and they all sort of represent thought processes from 40 years ago. And so they're, you, you can see any one of these movies and they're problematic, right? Sure. And this movie's got plenty of that. But what I do find interesting about this movie is it's a movie that doesn't let, say, especially in comparison to to Diner, it doesn't let the characters off the hook for their shitty behavior. Mm -hmm. And so that I rather like. Like you, I don't think this movie holds up and say the same way that E.T. does. Mm -hmm. But even back then, as... As silly as this movie can be, you have Jeff Spicoli, and as sex-crazed as this movie is, and I think that's what we all kind of were talking about back then when we first saw it, this movie does make a an earnest attempt to show the sexuality that young people crave and want and desire to be as awkward as it is in real life. I'll tell you what I remember from the film. And when I saw it again, I had a visceral, like, body-tightening reaction to it. Mm. And it was Jackson's Bra- Jackson Brown's Somebody's Baby. That song, that song is used in two places yes. in, in yeah. this film. And, it, and they're both, uh, it's Stacy's first, when she loses her virginity, and then right. again when she... And that's a rough scene to watch. It, that's why I had this I, bodily reaction... Oh. Man, to that scene and this 
encounter she but has. But that scene, that scene's a perfect example of nobody's let off the hook. Yes. And you're experiencing it through her. Yes. Like what it looks like to have a man on top of you in that way, where he's not even looking at you, looking at the graffiti inside of the dugout, that kind of thing. Yes. She's, she is, she, she gives her number to a guy in his twenties. She's 15 years 15, old. 15, I think. Yeah. 14 or 15 years old, working at the mall at a pizza shop. She gives her number to a guy in his twenties. She, the next thing we know, uh, her mother is in her room, tucking saying, her in, tucking bed. her in, saying "Good night, <laughs> Stacy. Good night, mom." Mom leaves. Jackson Brown, uh, somebody's baby starts, and Stacy gets out of her bed. She climbs out the window and she goes to meet this guy who picks her up in, let's say, a Trans Am. And yeah, yeah. And they drive. Where do you want to go? We could go to the point. They go to the point, which I guess is a baseball field, and they go into the dugout where there is no dialogue. There is no get to know you. There's nothing. And she just, in, in, a, in a biting the bullet kind of way, she just kind of- It's time to lose my virginity. She just kind of gets it over with. And the shot you describe of seeing the graffiti uh, on, the, on the roof of the dugout to have her on her back reading surf Nazis on the top of the yeah, dugout right. seems, as you're saying, like it's not letting anybody off the hook. It's showing this this one detail of the moment that sort of uh, it, it, it prevents anyone from romanticizing what's going on. To have the word Nazi appear on screen right. as, yeah. a, as a girl is losing her virginity is pretty unambiguous. <laughs> <laughs> and, yes. and it totally works and that song imprinted on me for 40 years i cannot hear that song without thinking and not of, think of that without moment. thinking of that dugout yeah and so to watch that again i was i was right back there and again this goes to uh my my father's parenting i was seven years old uh and watching jennifer wow. jason lee lose her virginity to Jackson Brown reading surf Nazis on the top of a dugout. Scene. And then you're, you come home and does your mom go ape shit hearing that you saw these movies? Does your dad say he's almost eight? <laughs> <laughs> Put a little hair on his chest. <laughs> like she says, he's seven years old. Yeah, but he's almost eight. <laughs> that is a great question and uh, I think you'd have to ask my mother that question I don't okay. remember alright Matt we've been talking about these three coming of age films We've talked about E.T., we've talked about Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I want to talk about Diner, but first, I've got a few statistics for you that I find truly amazing about these three movies. Bring it. I love statistics. The, there is not a single movie of these three movies with a budget above $10.5 million, and that's E.T. No. $10.5 
million dollars, which help, it made back in its out. opening weekend. Help me out. Adjust that for inflation. I, I know. While you're talking, I'm going to adjust that for inflation. Go Keep ahead. Keep talking. But it made, obviously, you know, we all know, well, I don't know if we all know, but I'm sure you and I know that it made over $400 million in the USA at the box office, 792 worldwide. Taking a look at Fast Times at Ridgemont High, just a budget of $4.5 million, which is still, that just astonishes me because that's almost half of E.T.'s budget. And you look at those movies side by side. It's just remarkable. But that movie made $27 million total. Mm -hmm. And then Diner had a budget of $5.5 million, but Barry Levinson came in $500,000 under. So budget of $5 million. And the movie only made $14 million. Well, I'll, let me interrupt you for a second because I, will, I, I, have in, I have adjusted for inflation. Go ahead. And you want your mind blown even more. Adjusted for inflation. <laughs> adjusted for inflation, E.T.'s budget, $28.5 million. I would have thought at least 50. That's incredible. We talked about E.T. 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. 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 Rotten Tomatoes. And 76% for Fast Times. But this movie, Diner, is 93%. And I wonder, too, again, how much this is... People nostalgia, nostalgia, just being nostalgia, and and yeah. not having watched the movie again, and not maybe even not seeing it for the first time, go like, oh, diner, I'm supposed to like that movie. I'll give it mm-hmm. an A. You know, uh, I am guilty of that as as much as much as the next guy, and that's part of why I want to. I'm forcing well, I'm myself to watch about these movies. Your, yeah, I'm curious about your first thoughts. What what went? What was rattling around your brain as you rewatched Diner? It was very frustrating for me. I was feeling the frustration of these man children kind of mm-hmm. trying to avoid uh, adult, res- adult responsibilities and growing yeah. up. As we've already established early on in this series, I was a child who was forced to grow up pretty fast. <laughs> and so, right. so, so um, I have a hard time relating to characters who are in their 20s or 30s and and they still can't balance See, a checkbook no, or they kill, that, still, still can't uh, they're still I living with mom. I find that interesting because you're describing yourself as somebody who had to grow up too fast, but I also think that you and I are part of a generation that is maybe the first generation that had an extended adolescence into young adulthood. My parents were married and having kids by the time they were 21 or 22. Yes. And I think, you know, people our age, all our parents were did that thing. Mm-hmm. And we were sort of the first generation to say, hey, let's like slow down a minute. We don't have to get married now. I, I barely know myself, much less need to want to, you know, get to know. You know so, so we're part of that first generation that didn't even really have marriage in our mind until we're even 30. I think you're right. I think I think that's a smart point, and I think it, it, I think from all angles, it is examining, you know, people who who don't want to take on the mantle of adulthood, whether that mantle is the mantle of wife or husband sure. or provider or 
whatever. It's all it's all people desperately, desperately, desperately trying to hold on to the the tenets of childhood and and teenhood, which is epitomized by the diner. It is it is these these yeah. guys, like you said, want nothing more than to just sit at the diner for the rest of their lives and and bullshit with each other. And the problem I had with the movie in the first watch is I felt like the movie was sort of rooting for the brotherhood to stay together. Uh, it, it it felt like see, so that was that was where my mindset was. There was just a, there was a lot of language that I would even go so far as to say sounds toxic that sure. rubbed me the wrong way in this movie. Uh, well, there was more than language. There were whole set pieces. Um, right. You know, I, I was just going to say that it continues into a, an entire through line about a woman being allowed to marry a man only if she passes a test about football. That, yes. And, and, and it, it's, I don't think that's ever A woman pre- presented. who we never see, by the way. <laughs> right, right. Like, don't, don't even see her face. I don't think that's ever presented as a, as a good thing. Um, I think he's... No, you're right about that. Yeah. yeah. It, it is always presented as sort of the tantrum that it is. Scrap. Tough question. She pulls it right out of the bag. <laughs> Very impressive. Okay, totals coming up. True and false. Seventy-two. Multiple Killer choices. Choice. Very confusing. Short answer. Sixty-four. What do you think? I don't know. Pick them. Cliffhanger. Sixty-three. Sixty-three. Eddie, I think you better check that Two again. Points. I don't think you added it right. I checked these figures very thoroughly. What do you think he'll do? He'll give them to her. Good sportsmanship is worth two points. Eddie, what about the Alan Amici question? I knew that one. The marriage is off. There, there's some. There's some honestly hard parts of this to watch. Uh, the whole. There's a whole scene in the in the middle where uh, Boogie, uh, played by uh, Mickey Rourke. Makes a right. bet. Makes a bet that he can get uh, a girl to touch his penis. To touch his yeah. dick. Right? And so he he hides he hides his penis in a in a in a, pop, in a popcorn, in popcorn box. <laughs> right. And, and and pretty soon, I mean, this and the scene takes forever. Watching well, her just I, I was go just back and forth say, from popcorn yes. to popcorn. Like it, she goes back five times. If she goes back once for more popcorn before she touches his penis and then and then he he sort of gaslights her about what was actually happening it was it's a really and then the explanation for it oh right it's just, just like i mean it goes on forever it's so cringe inducing that i think on my first viewing of this i was like oh my god shoot me in the head this yeah because that's what kind of where i was too this I, is unwatchable just, yeah um and then again, maybe no, maybe second time knowing that that was coming, I was maybe a little bit more ready for it. Um, this is not a movie to you know bust out for the kids, or this is not even a movie to like say like right. let's watch a cute movie for date night. Like no, this is <laughs> yeah. this is not that movie. But it shows a very specific idea about what it means to be an adult, and and that adulthood was equated with. Marriage, monogamy, financial responsibility, mm-hmm. and most importantly, like a severing of ties with your brethren. With your pals. Yeah. That, that, that there was no friendship after marriage. 
that, you know... Um, right, that it just sort of ceases to exist, and you and, have... And that it was actually impossible to be friends with your spouse. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say, because the line that stuck out to me is when Daniel Stern is saying, you know, Steve Gutenberg's asking him about what it's like to be married, and he mm. says, I don't know, like, we just, we got nothing to talk about, but it's good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, Throw the what? throw the yellow flag. It's not good. No, <laughs> that's, yes, that's not good. And those two is, things don't work together. And that's what I'm saying about the, this is the brain food of it all. Like, yeah, you know, to see, uh, uh, to get the message, to get the message that once you get married, your the fun is over. You know, that's the message, and that's the, the certainly, um, uh, th- that was. If, if it wasn't the prevailing trend, it was that that theme we're going to see again and again in these movies. Of that course. marriage means the end of friendship, the end of camaraderie, the end of, of, of the life. The end of freedom. The, the end of freedom, the end of life. The as end you know of, it. yeah. Um, and. And, it's uh, always presented as the end of something and not the beginning not of the something. Not the beginning of anything. Not the yeah. beginning of anything. It is, it is, marriage is absolutely the end of everything. Let's figure out where these movies lie in a segment I guess we're going to call uh, No Salt, Grain of Salt, or Cup of Salt. Yes, absolutely. We right? This, if there's any part of this podcast that's going to be sort of a viewer's guide, a common sense media, metacritic kind of moment, yeah, it's, it's, right. it's this. To me, No What's Salt... What's No Salt mean? Yeah. No, to me, No Salt means watch this anytime. Right. You know... Uh, it still holds up, totally enjoyable. Um, you know, watch this guilt-free. Grain of salt, it's like, keep in mind, it's a 40-year-old movie. Keep in mind. There are good things. There are bad yeah, things. There you, are. You're going to have, it's gonna be some, there are going to be some cringes. And then cup of salt is, this movie will kill you if you try to ingest it. Right. <laughs> you this will, movie's poison. This movie will trigger a vomiting response if you try right. to take it in. Um, so I think that's the that could be our that could be our sort of our thumbs up, thumbs down, yeah. thumbs way up kind of uh, uh, metric. All right. So what say you on on ET the extraterrestrial? I am no salt. I I would agree. I'm no salt. Um, okay. I'm no salt. I think this this movie is still uh, one of the great family movies ever made. And uh, uh, yeah, no salt. Okay. And now about, how about how about for you for Fast Times, no cup or grain. No, Fast Times is a grain of salt for me. And how so? Like what? What do you? What would you qualify if you were to say watch Fast Times at Richmond High? But keep in mind. See, well, I guess I struggle with it because there's a little too much normalizing of shitty male behavior as either comical yeah. or to be indulged in, in some shape, form, or fashion. But at the same time, they have moments where Damone says... Hey, let's like this isn't my fault. You wanted it more than me, and she says, "No, you take that back." Yeah. And he says, "Okay, I okay, I take it back." Which is a really human moment, you know. It's a it's a volatile situation. 
their kids. Neither one of them knows what to do, but at least Emmy Hackerling had a good enough good sense to... He says the thing he shouldn't say, but he's called on it. Right. And right. so I like that about that movie, you know? Uh, yeah, I How agree. How about for I, you? For me, I, I gotta go grain of salt in the same way. It's a reluctant mm-hmm. grain of salt. And it, it has more yeah. to do... It has more to do with the latitude that... Um, that the film gives Spicoli and his antics, uh, yeah. you know, sort of the, you know, the naked ladies on the wall, um, kind of. Yes. By the way, you know, yeah. Parents. Just, yeah. Who, just, who are your parents? <laughs> just, there's a ton of questions. <laughs> and then, and so what about diner for you? Diner's tough. I, I did, I, I did not find it egregious enough. Like I, it didn't make me angry enough to say cup of salt, like it's going to poison you. Mm-hmm. But it's more than a grain. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we, we've painted ourselves into a corner with this I rating know, system. Because right? all we've done so far is hedge. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so much shitty male behavior represented in that movie. The popcorn box is a perfect example where where women are the object of their bets. Yeah. It has a very Neil LeBute feel to it at times. Yeah. Where it's just I mean, sort of, you know, uh, so it's I, just sort I of just, mean. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's ugly in a way that I can't give the movie a pass, but I think at least Barry Levinson is a, a good enough filmmaker where he is at least presenting these men as doing shitty things they're reveling in it themselves but i'm i'm not quite certain that it goes to the level that he thinks the audience should be reveling in it as well i would agree it's not porkies yeah which is a movie reveling in its own revelry and asking the audience to join in kind of so it's a grain of officially i would have to say a grain of salt yeah i would say the same thing i i I don't think this is a toxic movie to watch um right uh, and we we will have those um this is oh yeah we we have a we're we're starting our audience uh with three generally speaking pretty good movies yeah (laughs) we're gonna get we're gonna get to the poisonous ones in due time All right, ladies and gentlemen, we will see you next time for another episode of the 1982 Project. We're going to tackle at least another couple of movies. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. Right? Yeah, sure. All right. Take care. We'll see you next time. The 1982 Project is a production of the Everything's Equal podcast and was produced by Mike Chance and Matt Aldrich. Original music by Amit Aldrich and Murphy Aldrich. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. ET Phone Home. <laughs>